I'll tell you, in the first service, we had a, a couple that I baptized this week, uh, Josh and Alicia Brown, uh, that came forward and, and we told everyone about that and they joined our church here. Uh, so if you know them, you can welcome them to our church family. Uh, <clears throat> want to also catch you up. Last week, when I left you, we had just talked about Isaac. Most we talked about his dad, Abraham, but Isaac, uh, when we left, was a teenager and he had actually... Uh, gone on Mount Moriah with his father. His father was about to sacrifice him as, as God had directed him. And uh, he ended up relenting. And Isaac grows up to be one of the founding fathers of the modern nation of Israel, of Judaism. And so <clears throat> Isaac, as he grew, he had two sons of his own. And they were named Jacob and Esau. They were twins. And uh, Jacob is one of those characters that give me encouragement that actually I might be of use to God. Jacob, like the teenagers say today, Jacob was kind of a sketchy guy. Y'all know what that term means? He was one of those guys that would kind of walk the edge of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And we actually see Jacob be kind of deceitful. Jacob also had a lot of doubts. In fact, we're told of Jacob wrestling all night with God. And he, he was left with a permanent limp because he did. I can identify with that. When I was younger, I had lots of doubts about God. I wrestled with God about faith. Maybe you can relate as well. But today, I'm, I'm not going to talk so much about Jacob. You have that if you follow along in the story. Uh, you've read about him. I really want to focus on one of his sons. One of his sons named Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite people in all the Bible. And Joseph is a, a person who, uh, when I think of him, it comes to mind how he always got up from terrible, from tough things that happened to him. When I was with high school, uh, we actually went from 8th to 12th grade all together. It was kind of a crazy idea. 18-year-olds and 13-year-olds don't really, uh, they shouldn't be in the same school, I don't think. But I didn't have a choice. I went along. And so I went to, to school and I played football the 8th grade, and we all practiced together. And uh, so I practiced with the 12th graders, and uh, the first summer I was there, 8th grade, I was scrimmaging. And I, I played a position on defense called Monster. <laughs> I like the sound of it, but I was just a little scrawny thing. So I, I was kind of like a strong safety, and you imagine, yeah, I was young because I don't look like a strong safety now, do I? So I was playing Monster, and, and you face in, and if there's a pitch out or the ball comes around the edge, then you're supposed to come up and make the tackle. You're supposed to not let them get outside you. So I was ready to, to, to do this. They blew the whistle. The shirt up the pitch out. I get ready, turn to go get, get the guy. And a senior wide receiver named Kent Burkan was in my face. He did what you call a crackback block, which basically I didn't know he was coming. And I remember just hitting the ground and opening my eyes, and everything was green. As I got up, the people were green. The sky was green. The ground was green. I made it three steps and fell and saw some more green. As I was down there, I actually remember, you know, I was steeped in the, the lore and the quotes of Vince Lombardi. He was a famous coach. And one of his great quotes, his famous quotes is, it's not whether you get knocked down. It's whether you get back up. And so I got back up. And the older players embraced me after that point. 
But that's not what I'm talking about. I, I want you to hear today that there are two ways to get up. Joseph, I see, always got up. I see others get up. Maybe today you've been knocked down. You're in a, a point in your life where you've had some challenges. If not, maybe it's a good time. I will tell you, there will be a point in the future where you get knocked down. It's the way life happens. Your choice then is, is whether to stay down or get back up. Now, I think most of us keep moving forward, but, but there are two ways to get back up. There's God's way and there's the world's way. I think the world's way, we get knocked down, we get back up, we're a little harder. We're a little more vengeful. We maybe are tempted to compromise to get ahead so that doesn't happen to us again. We don't get knocked down again. Maybe we learn not to trust anybody. Instead, we just trust ourselves, our own intelligence, our own strength. Maybe it is that we seek to build a secure existence around us by having plenty of material resources, by having a good position. Then there's God's way. Joseph shows us God's way. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, Joseph, we meet in Genesis chapter 37. He is uh, the favorite son of Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. It says that Joseph was loved by Joseph. Uh, Joseph was loved by his dad, Jacob, more than any of the sons. And what does that mean? Jake, Joseph was probably spoiled, right? Sibling rivalry is a terrible thing. And maybe as he was a young man, Joseph earned it. Maybe he kind of rubbed that in. But by the time we get to see him as a teenager, he has a special gift that we'll see throughout his life. He has this gift of, of both having dreams and, and then interpreting them. Now, I believe God spiritually gives him that gift. He's able to have dreams that predict the future. And through the Spirit of God, he can actually see what's going to happen. But he, he maybe lacks a little tact. It tells us there in Genesis 37 that Joseph tells his brothers of two dreams he's had, both of which indicate that symbolically and figuratively uh, that God has shown him that literally one day his brothers will bow down before him. He will be above them in preeminence. They will have to bow down before him. Brothers react to that message like you think they might. They're out one day, out in the fields, and they come up with a plot. They throw their brother down into a well, and then they see a slave trader come by. They, they sell him to the slave trader. They take this coat of many colors that Jacob has only given to Joseph, and they put animal blood on it. They take it back to their dad, Jacob, and they say, Joseph has been devoured by a wild animal. The slave trader takes Joseph down to Egypt. We see in that that Joseph, Joseph is knocked down. Can you imagine being betrayed by your brothers? Can you imagine having your whole life, your whole existence torn from you? Can you imagine your family giving up on you? Slave trader sells him and he gets to a household, a man named Potiphar and his wife. And Potiphar quickly sees that Joseph has many talents. He rises up maybe because Joseph already has 
proven to be a good administrator or leader. He, he actually trusts Joseph enough that he puts him in charge of everything. He says, you can have anything in, our, in this household. You have my full trust. We see that Joseph stood with integrity. We see that, in, that he was trusted. But even more, we see it when he is tested. Look what happens, Genesis chapter 39. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after, his, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. She wouldn't take no for an answer or even to be with her. He avoided any appearance of evil, it says in the New Testament. He, he didn't even get in a position where she could do anything like that, except one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left, it, left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He fled from evil, which is also a good lesson that the New Testament gives us. When we're put in a tempting situation, flee from it. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servant. She's getting some witnesses. She's concocting a plan. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. So she's the innocent. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me, to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Joseph has a life with his family. He's cast out. He has a life. He's built a life. He's gotten back up and built a life, even as a slave, where he has a position and a relationship with those in the house. And now he's put into prison. Not for evil or wicked actions. He does the right thing. It's a good lesson for us that sometimes... Even when we make the choice to do the right thing, we won't immediately see a result. In fact, we can be unjustly and unfairly accused. The question is, do we become hard by that? The question is, does that make us then always choose to go that different route? Does it, does it make us give in to compromise? Because after all, it, we might as well choose to do whatever because we're going to get blamed for it anyway. That's the way the world tells us to think, isn't it? But here we see that he makes this choice to stand with integrity. Integrity means that you're the same person every place that you go. You don't put on a different mask for different people. You don't change your morals and your values by who you're with. But you're always the same person. He chooses 
does Joseph to, to make the right choice, to, to serve God, to be faithful to God in the way that he makes his choice, the way he lives his life. Why? I think he understood what we learn in the New Testament, that whatsoever a person sows, they shall reap. The truth of God. If a person sows good seeds, if they sow godly seeds, then they will eventually see a godly harvest. Not right away, but a godly harvest. Likewise, to the converse is true. If we sow dishonest seeds, if we sow deceptive seeds, then we're going to reap those kinds of harvests. Joseph understands that, and he chooses, even though it doesn't look good for him, even though it goes against him, he chooses to be a man of integrity. So, too, you have a choice sometimes, maybe even right now in the midst of it. You have a choice when you get knocked down to do the godly thing, to continue to act in godly ways, or to compromise. The world says you compromise to get ahead. God says be a person of integrity. Live with my values and you will be blessed. Secondly, Joseph stood with a forgiving heart. Now from this, we see that the, both with Potiphar and his household and with his brothers, we see that he chooses, does Joseph, not to become bitter. He's thrown into prison. Again, he develops and earns the trust of the people around him. And so when Pharaoh has a troubling dream, Pharaoh's the supreme leader of Egypt. Now Egypt at that time was the dominant nation in the known world. Egypt spread all over. It was a, a great, mighty nation, and Pharaoh ruled over it all. Pharaoh has a dream that he can't understand, and so he sends word throughout the kingdom that he needs someone to interpret his dream. And so someone in the prison says, hey, I've got, I've got a guy that I think can help you out. He brings Joseph to the Pharaoh. And sure enough, Joseph interprets the dream. And because of that, Joseph is introduced to and then promoted by the Pharaoh, eventually, eventually rising to the second highest person in all of Egypt. He's called a viceroy. It's kind of like the vice president of the United States. The second person ranking in power. Amazing. A Hebrew slave, not in his own land, but now has come and been enslaved and been put in prison, and he comes up to that highest place. Talk about reaping what you sow. See, he sowed good seeds, and God has blessed him, and God's put him in a unique position. Friends, here's the problem. So oftentimes, we can't see the big picture. We can't see everything that God sees. God works in mysterious ways. God works those things around and and so what we get from that is that we can believe in God, that we can believe that God will sort everything out. See, we're tempted, and the world says when somebody knocks you down, when somebody does something bad to you, you do what? You get them back. You get even. Instead of having a forgiving heart or forgiving spirit, we develop a vengeful spirit. We look to get even. That's not what we see in Joseph, not at all. You see, his brothers, uh, when Joseph is put in this position of power, he, he 
gets a dream from God that there's going to be a famine. And so he leads the nation of Egypt to store up grain to prepare for a hard time. And when the hard time does come, the people of Israel, Jacob, Joseph's father and his brothers, they are starving. They hear there's food down in Egypt, so they go down to Egypt. And they come in too and, and meet with Joseph. And if this were a movie, you could hear the melodramatic music building. You could see this is an encounter that is fraught with peril for the Hebrews who are coming down to talk to this, uh, this Egyptian viceroy. And you see the encounter they have with Joseph. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph. There have been some years between when they threw him in the well. Apparently his appearance had changed. They didn't recognize him. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And you can see their faces. Oh no, we're going to get it. No, and now Joseph continues, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and the, for the next year, five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. You see, this is a continuance of the plan, the upper story plan of God. If not for Joseph being sold into slavery and then put into prison and then coming into the position of power in Pharaoh's kingdom, Jacob and his family would have no nation to go to to find food that literally could have been wiped out. But in all of God's mysterious ways, he's preserving the people of God. He's making sure they have a way of deliverance, a way to be saved. And Joseph is fully on board. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. <clears throat> he made me father of Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. A forgiving heart, you see. Joseph understands he's part of a bigger plan. So also I would say to you today, particularly if you've been knocked down, God is working in mysterious ways in and around you. And perhaps he has in mind a big picture plan that you don't get today. What I can tell you is this, that you can believe the promises of God. Romans 8, 28 says, He works all things together for the good of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. He says, I have a plan and purpose for you. You can believe that. You can trust in that. And if you make your choice to live the godly way instead of the worldly way, then God eventually will make that all make sense. <laughs> and you don't have to take matters in your own hands when people wrong you. You instead can trust God to sort things out. You personally can extend forgiveness when the temptation is to be hard. Thirdly, Joseph stood with total trust in God. You probably already have gotten that from his decision to be a man of integrity when challenged, a decision to be forgiving when he had the right to be vengeful. But we see it in his 
interaction with the Pharaoh. I, I told you about what happened through it, but you need to see. Joseph doesn't come to him claiming some su supernatural ability himself. He doesn't come talking and, and trying to make himself appear to be wise and to try to somehow sweet talk himself his way into Pharaoh's uh, presence and his approval. Instead, he gives all the credit, all the credit for God. We have a choice in life. Are we going to have our own reputation based in our strength, in our intelligence, in our connections? Are we going to claim and stand with God's power, with God's identity? What is our identity going to be? Look at this interaction. Again, in a movie, the music would swell and it'd be kind of melodramatic. Literally, if Joseph fails in interpreting this dream, it, the best that can happen is he goes back to prison. The worst is somehow uh, the Pharaoh decides to have him executed or punished in some way. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. It's not some strange dream. God's working this together. He's even bringing a dream to someone who believes in the nature gods, pagan gods, does Pharaoh. And then later, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. God is the source. God is working in all of this. Look what he, how, how Pharaoh responds, how Pharaoh sees this witness as an impacted a little later in chapter 41. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? He's talking about Joseph, one in whom is the spirit of God. Friends, the New Testament says when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you confess him before others, when you repent, when you're baptized into Christ, you receive the forgiveness of your sins and the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, lives inside of you. The question is, can others see it? And I would say to you, maybe the reason a lot of others don't see it in us sometimes is because we've been fooled, we've been swayed, we've been tempted to react and choose in our choices in life the way of the world. Joseph chooses to totally trust God. And so this Pharaoh can see it. He has the Spirit of God in him. It's not always easy to make the choices following the leadership of the Spirit of God in you, in your life. But I assure you, people will see it. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there was no one so discerning and wise as you. And a little later, or actually that was the last verse. You see there the witness, that, that promise that he has grasped onto, that that Joseph can totally trust God. And I think it's because he sees ahead into the future. I just finished a, surrey, a series on First Peter. We talked about how the Bible says that Christians, this is not our home. We are aliens and strangers in this place. When we come to Christ, then it, we, we, we are not the same. We go from being a person controlled by the temptations and lusts of the flesh to a person that's led by the Spirit. And in that, it sometimes can seem like we don't belong here. Well, that's true. Imagine Joseph getting uprooted from his home, from his family, 
and then making a, a, a new home at Potiphar's household, and then he gets uprooted from that. And Pharaoh, now he's grown into this person with immense privilege and power. He all probably had all kinds of material benefits available. But you see at the end of his story, Joseph doesn't believe in, Joseph doesn't rest in, Joseph doesn't count as his promise, as his ultimate reward. He doesn't count any of the material stuff. That's a lesson we need to hear. Sometimes in today's world, we can be very tempted to get complacent, can't we? We can be very tempted to find our identity, to find our hope in the position we hold at work, in the financial resources, the material goods that we have. Joseph, he had all of that potential to just rest on his laurels, but he's only concerned with one thing. He's concerned with the promised land. He's concerned with this nation that God has promised. He's concerned with this ultimate kingdom of God coming to being. So his last words as he dies tell us that he stood faithful to God's promise. His last words are found in Genesis chapter 50. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath. That's the promised land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Now, Egypt is the land of what? It's the land of pyramids. Those pyramids, those huge, amazing structures of engineering, they were built as tombs for pharaohs. He's second in command. Surely he would rate a massive and mighty tomb. But Joseph doesn't want to stay in this place that's not his home. Joseph is concerned about his place in the family of God, in the holy city of God. He wants his bones to be in the promised land. There's a lesson there for us. There's a lesson for us to hear. In Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, that's known as the heroes chapter. It tells us of the great people of faith that we can learn from in the Old Testament and the New. And you might think of Joseph, some of these things I've talked to you about would be mentioned, that his great integrity, that his forgiving heart, that his total trust in God. You might think that those might be mentioned, but no. The only mention we get of him in Hebrews 11 is verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. There is a lesson there. As long as we make our choices and build our life trying to be secure and happy and prosperous here, we're missing our ultimate destination and meaning. For the stuff here, one day will disappear. The stuff here, one day will be no more. Either because our life on earth ends, or because uh, cataclysmically 
Armageddon comes about. Either way, if we're building our life, building up our stuff and our titles and our power and our prestige, friends, that's not what lasts. What lasts for the believer, what lasts for the person of integrity, what lasts for the person who has a witness for Christ, even when they get knocked down, what lasts is residence, a hope of a place in a city where there's no more mourning, no more tears, no more pain. That promise is available to all of us. All of us can make the choices that, you, that Joseph made. Where we're tempted when we're knocked down to cope by compromising, we can stand with integrity. When we're tempted, when we get knocked down to be vengeful and bitter and hold grudges, we can choose to be forgiving and let God sort things out. When we have and get knocked down and we lose our trust in others around us and we're tempted to just believe in ourselves, we can totally trust in God. When we get knocked down and we think our solution is to build this insulated cocoon of security around us, we instead can trust in God's promise. God's promise land. The question is, if you've been knocked down, how will you stand? The question is, when you get knocked down, how will you stand? Fathers, we think about these things today. I pray that you've spoken to us. You've helped us to see what it is you're trying to tell us. How it is you want us to respond. Today, Father, I pray that we would respond at your leading. We would not hold back any of ourselves. Maybe it is that some of us have, we know we've been compromising. Maybe others of us, we realize we've got a bitter or hard heart. Others of us, we've grown not to trust others. We've grown not to, our trust in you has been shaken. Help us from Joseph's life to see we can trust you. We can, too, live by and look for your promised land. We can be people of integrity. That if we sow good seeds, we may not see it right away, but but a harvest will come. Father, today I pray you speak to us and we can listen. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.